You're listening to Calvary La Habra's podcast. For more information, visit us at calvarylh.com. Thanks for listening. Can we give a hand to just all the volunteers? Thank you for reaching out and all of you who uh, brought your kids out here. Um, I don't know, 400 some kids, a lot of kids, hundreds of kids. Um, and 80% of the kids signed up this year uh, were not from our church. So huge outreach, yeah, huge opportunity. And So if you're new around here and you brought your kids and you're here this morning because of that as well, welcome, welcome. Let's welcome any new people, by the way. We don't get to do that enough. But, uh, you know, God is uh, he's doing a, a unique work, and I'm glad to be part of it. And... Um, here we are. Let's open our Bibles to the book of Acts, chapter 21. And uh, if you want a really in-depth on the next, oh, 17 verses, you could listen to our first study. This morning I'm going to summarize a few things. Um, but if you're new, you're new to studying God's Word, the book of Acts uh, is the account of uh, the birth, from the birthing of the church in the early part of the book of Acts. It begins with uh, Jesus after his resurrection, uh, talking about what he did on those 40 days following his resurrection on the earth, preaching about the kingdom of heaven and commissioning disciples and whatnot. And then in chapter 2, the the church is birthed. It's birthed in Jerusalem, and then um, the book of Acts is just that. It's the account, the acts, of, of God, the Holy Spirit working through these people that he redeems. And so Jews, initially, who rejected Jesus Christ and put him on the cross, um, they now are hearing the message from one of his disciples originally, from Peter. They believe now that Jesus is the Messiah. They're they're saved. And that first message that Peter gave there in Jerusalem, 3,000 people were converted. And then the story just kind of rolls out from there. And it goes from really what God was doing in the life of Peter And it shifts over to what God begins to do in the life of Paul. Um, Paul was converted in chapter 9. He was Saul. He was persecuting the church. He was um, part of the Jewish uh, movement, Judaism. Uh, He was a high-ranking member of Judaism and just opposed the church, persecuted the church. But then he met the Lord um, in chapter 9, was converted. And then God began to use him radically. And we are in the portion of the book of Acts where the gospel has been spreading throughout the Roman Empire, primarily now um, by way of the Apostle Paul. Um, The book of Acts records three of his missionary journeys. We are following the third, the the latter part of his third missionary journey, which was about uh, a four-year period of time. He went through about 22 different cities preaching the gospel. People were getting saved. All kinds of miracles were happening and churches were being planted. And then um, as he begins to head back, um, he would leave in in chapter 19 initially from the city of Antioch. But when he would come back, he's not going to go back to that sending church. He's going to head to Jerusalem. And he has a burden to get to Jerusalem um, primarily um, because he had sent out a few of his disciples, Timothy and others, to some of these churches in, um, in around the Roman Empire that were established in more Gentile communities. And he wanted to have them raise up some resources, some funds, gather offerings, 
So when he's coming back through, um, he would receive up those offerings and take them back to Jerusalem because there was a, a famine in that area and there was a great need in that area. And also Paul wanted to be there for the celebration of Pentecost, which was a major festival that he still would commemorate. But more importantly, he knew that um, the church in Jerusalem was just still very new and there were challenges facing a lot of those believers. And uh, I believe Paul wanted to be there as well to help uh, just the church navigate through some very um, early days of, of the Lord bringing together people from different backgrounds and faiths and different cultures and help with some of the challenges that came um, with all of that. So in chapter 21, he's, he's going to be boarding some merchant ships, traveling back towards uh, Jerusalem. He'll eventually get there. And um, what we want to draw from this study this morning, don't miss this, is the fact that God had this unique calling on, on Paul the Apostle. And we're going to talk about the mission of God for our life, the calling of God for our life. And then we're going to really spotlight on the fact that, that Paul did not deviate from that calling. And then we're going to close, and I'm going to, I'm going to challenge us all to really think through, do we, do we know personally as Christians the will of God for our life? And we're going to talk about how to find that from this lesson, and then I'll tie up some scriptures as well at the end. But really, that is going to be the, the focal point. So look with me, if you will, at verse 1, where it says, It came to pass that when we had departed from them, he's referring to chapter 20, where he was um, in Ephesus at the port city of Miletus. He had stopped there for seven days, remember, and met with the leaders of the church there and poured his heart into them. And then he had left. And then when he departed from them, they set sail, running straight course. We came to Kos. The following day to Rhodes, um, from there to Petora, and finding another ship sailing to Phoenicia, we boarded and set sail from there. Uh, we, we had sighted Cyprus. We passed out on the left. We sailed to Syria and landed in Tyre, for there the ship would be unloaded again, a merchant ship, unloading the cargo and taking on new cargo. While that was all going on for those several days again, Paul, finding some disciples there in Tyre, stayed there. And um, then these disciples, these other believers that he found and got to know, just told Paul, it says, through the Spirit, you don't need to be going to um, Jerusalem. Now, we noted again that, that Paul the Apostle, he was, he was no different than any of us. Sometimes we look at all of the things that God did in using Paul and the scriptures that he wrote, and we're like, whoa, there's Paul, and then there's like the rest of us. No. Paul is just like us. He's a, he's a redeemed soul. He is a, a man that was fallen, born with a sinful nature. He was a man that needed Jesus, and he found Jesus, accepted Jesus, and Jesus began to use his life. And he had a, a specific plan and purpose for his life, just like when Jesus saves us, has a specific plan and purpose for our life. But the mission that, that, that God had for Paul, it evolved over time. It was a, a mission that involved different seasons, different people, different circumstances, different, different locations, different journeys. The current part of God's mission for Paul is this journey where he's boarding on ships. He's heading back to Jerusalem from Miletus to Petora, about a three-day journey, stopping at different ports. Then 
then, it, then a ship kind of nonstop to Phoenicia, another 400 miles. And then he ends up in Tyre, which we would see today as modern-day Lebanon. And for several days there, he just he finds these believers. And we'll see, we understand as we look at this a little bit further, that there was like a real bond between all of them. But Paul, he just was this guy that stayed the course. But he knew the course. And he was available for God to like keep him on that course. There's a lot of Christians today that are living their life with no real sense or purpose. No real direction. They've, they've really not gotten close enough to Jesus and opened their heart up enough to him as now a redeemed saint to go, what is your will for my life? What is your mission for my life? And if we've not done that, chances are God is not directing our life. Well, they have a mission, but it's their personal mission. Their, their mission is doing what they feel is best for their life. For some, they're Christians. They're, they're saved, they're redeemed, but circumstances are directing their life. Whatever life throws at them, that's the mission of their life. The mission of their life is defined by what life throws at them. But here, as we walk through this, these few scriptures, just, again, I want to highlight who Paul was and how, how he discovered God's will for his life and how nothing derailed him from fulfilling or following God's will for his life. Now, you might be a Christian here this morning, or maybe you're not, but we're going to talk to believers because I think if you're not saved here this morning, you need to give your life to Jesus. Let's just start with that. Amen? Amen. <laughs> here or online. But you may be struggling with some very crucial decisions in life. You might be, you might be struggling with some decisions about God's will for your life. You don't understand it. You're, you're like, how do, I, how do I discover that? You wonder what it is, but you just haven't landed on that. You may think you know that God's you know, will is out there. You believe that he has a will for your life, but you're just unsure about what it is, the timing, and, and, and you know, who is part of that journey, what boat to board, when, when and where to disembark, and what to do once you would disembark. For you note-takers, to some extent I pray you all are in your heart. But for you note-takers, number one, simply write this down. God has a plan for my life. Paul was a man who knew God, and he came to understand God's plan for his life. In Acts chapter 9, when, when he was converted there, it was at that point that God revealed himself to Paul. He accepted Jesus. He began to understand who he was. He accepted him. And one of the first things out of his, his mouth to Jesus when he realized who he was is, Lord, what do you want me to do? He knew that came with the territory. If I'm going to give my life to you, you're going to become my, my Lord. Lord, what, 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 what do you want me to do? And it was at that time that God would send a man by the name of Ananias and be very clear with Paul about his mission or his plan or his will for Paul's life. That, that, number one, he wanted Paul to know, and this is important for any of us that need to understand God has a plan for our life. He says, you go tell him that he is a chosen vessel 
of mine. If you're born again here, you are a chosen vessel of God. And then he made it very, very clear that he's going to go out and proclaim. He's going to go out and proclaim me. And he's going to do that with Gentiles. That's a big part of his ministry. I'm going to even put him before kings. That would be an amazing thing to hear. And even before Jews, the children of Israel. But it didn't end there. Then it says, Ananias, you're going to have to tell him that, that he's going to suffer many things for my name's sake. So understand, number one, that God has a plan for your life. Then number two, understand, it might, I don't want to oversimplify this, but this is profound and it's very important. And we need to step out in faith to not only know that, but we need to step out in faith and pursue that. And each one of three, these three missionary journeys of Paul affirm that. Each trip involving different locations at different times, different people, different circumstances in Paul's life. Each trip, God was directing him. Each step, God was guiding him and fulfilling his mission for his life. Part of that was putting a burden on him. Part of that was the Holy Spirit speaking to him. Part of that was like opening doors for him, providing for him resources, places to stay, the direction, clear direction, putting a team around him. Whatever God calls us to be or God calls us to do, God will give us the grace to be that or do that. The driving goal at this particular point in God's mission for Paul's life was you need to get to Jerusalem. He didn't just carry that burden. He did something about that burden. It would be even years ago that he called Timothy and others and goes, get out there. We need to, we, we need to, to, to take up some offerings. And when I come back through, I'm going to gather those offerings and I'm going to go to Jerusalem and we are going to take care of others. That was a burden that God had put on Paul's life. But he was pursuing that. Number three, understand that there will be lots of pressure to deviate from God's will for your life. Don't cave into that pressure. That's what we're going to learn here. Never deviate. Entire Paul meets some of the disciples, some of the believers. Let's read on to fully understand the pressures that Paul is going to face here. Finding them, they staying with them for seven days. In verse 4, they told Paul through the Spirit not to go to Jerusalem. When he had come to the end of those days, after about a week, we, Luke says, was with him still, departed. We went our way. They accompanied us with their wives and their children until um, we were out of the city. And we, we all knelt down and we prayed on the shore there and and when we had taken our leave from one another, we boarded the ship and they returned home. Now, if you've been a Christian for any length of time and you've been out and about, maybe traveling around, you know that bond that you have when you bump into other Christians. Oftentimes I see men that are in the military and they'll meet another man that was in the same line of military or what have, and they, they instantly have this bond. They went through maybe the same life experience. They were altered by the same circumstances. And they, they have this fraternal kind of bond. How many of you Christians know that we have that in the Lord? Amen? Amen. First Corinthians chapter 12 says it's, we have the same Father, the same Spirit, the same baptism, the same body. And so it doesn't take very long for that bond to be identified. And 
And, and after about a week of just spending time with the Apostle Paul, it's obvious that there was something special between he and these, these other Christians there in Tyre. By the time you would head back to the ship, they were like, we're going with you. And we're bringing our wives. And we're bringing our kids. And before we even let you go, man, we're just going to hang out with the Lord and we're going to, to pray with you. If you're here this morning and you're, you're new to this community, welcome. If you're new to this community... Know that for at least 34 years, I've been praying for you. Quite often, I pray for what God is doing and what God is going to continue to do, as do our leaders. And if you're new to this community, you're new to this family of God here, whether you're saved or you're not saved, know that God has a plan for you here. Part of that would begin with you, you giving your life to his son, Jesus. And that's the doorway into the family of God. And part of that would be that, that you would walk with him. Part of that would be that you would spend eternity with him. When we, we pray, Lord, save people, he's, he's saving them from their sin and the penalty of sin. And that, of course, has to do with eternity as well. Amen? Amen. He's saving you and me from hell. And so we get really excited about that. We're like, wow, look at someone. The light came on. They gave their life to Jesus Christ. And we know what that means. They might not even understand what that means eternally at that particular point in time. But we do, and we get excited. And there's another thing I get really excited about. I get to walk with you. We get to walk with you. We get to walk through gather, together through a world that is cursed and fallen and is filled with heartache, trials, pain, sorrow, sickness, and death. We are all walking through the same world that Jesus talked about in Matthew chapter 5 where it says that, that like it rains upon the righteous and the unrighteous. But we have the privilege, we who are redeemed, of walking together arm in arm with Jesus. That just lifts my soul when I see people getting excited about the Lord. They have no idea how the Lord is going to work in their life through others. But he will. And we're not perfect. We're just a bunch of dysfunctional people that are a little more functional because Jesus Christ is working in our midst. Amen? Amen. We're still pretty jacked up. The most of us that are jacked up agreed with me. I love that. Paul the Apostle that we're following would always see himself as the least of the saints, the least of the apostles, the chiefest of sinners. That's walking in the shadow of Jesus. That's a perspective that, that comes from walking close with the Lord. But oftentimes we, we begin this experience of walking with Jesus and we'll find him bringing people into our life. And I'm sure it was such an encouragement as Paul has been traveling for four years and and, and over 2,500 miles, 1,300 of those miles by foot, 1,200 miles in ships. And to just bump into other Christians along the way, how exciting that, that must have been. But, but as they are here, they're, there's like a little bit of a, a ripple in the water. And the, the ripple in the water is that it just says that after a while, they, they tell Paul, and it says, through the Spirit, don't go up to Jerusalem. And I'm sure Paul was a little bit maybe, 
may be taken back by that. There's no doubt that Paul would have remembered back in chapter 20 that when he was talking to the Ephesian elders, that was just a few days earlier, he's like, guys, like right now I just want you to know what's going on in my heart. I've told you about who I was when I was with you, but right now what's going on in my heart is I, I, I'm going bound to Jerusalem. <laughs> it's just, it's there. I'm not really aware of all the things that are going to happen to me, but I just want you to know the Holy Spirit testifies in every city. This is just a common thing. In every city, the Holy Spirit seems to be affirming that like chains and tribulations await me. Now, at this particular point in time, Paul will be in ministry about 34 and a half years. He's at the 20-year mark, is what most scholars believe. He's already been through a lot. So part of that statement is like, yeah, and it's true. But, you know, as he, as he moves forward, he moves into some of these cities, I'm sure it would have been a little bit challenging to hear people that you've come to know, even in a brief time, but you've come to love and come to appreciate, and their, their families are pouring into you as you've been pouring into them, and then they're like, hey, we, just, just something, you know, like, we, we believe the Spirit of God is like, you know, you shouldn't be going to Jerusalem. Jesus had these challenges. I can think back in Matthew chapter 16 when Jesus was with his disciples and, and, and he was heading to his Jerusalem. And there was a cross waiting for him there. He was telling the guys, I'm going to be crucified and be buried. Three days later, I'm going to be raised from the dead. And then Peter, Mr. Peter, is like, hey, hey, can, can, I, can I talk to you a little sidebar? Pulls Jesus off the side. He's like, far be it from you that you do this. You never want to get into the conversation with God where you're like giving him direction. Just don't, just don't go there. It's just not wise. Always remember, you're the clay, he's the potter. And Jesus looks at him and he said something that really needed to like sink in with Peter. Hey, get behind me, Satan. <laughs> I'm sure Peter was like, I'm so glad I took him off to the side. And he didn't say that in front of the bros. But get behind me, Satan. Listen, you are not mindful of the things of God, but you're mindful of the things of men. Peter, you've been walking with me, and the one thing I'm trying to do with you and the rest of these guys is make it all about me, and you just struggle. From time to time, you just forget that. You stop thinking that way, and you just make it about you. And it's hard. I'm sure it was difficult for, for Jesus to hear that from Peter. He loved Peter. Peter's saying this because he loves Jesus. Kind of like, man, you've been spending so much time with me. I know that, but I got to go. I'm a short timer here. I'm a 33 and a half year guy. That's it. And I'm sure it was hard for, for Paul. Just a passing through and he's spending time with people. And then all of a sudden, we, we've all had those Christians in our life where they just feel like they know God's will for us more than we do. And they just have a way of like, I don't want to say it, but almost playing out the Holy Spirit in front of us. I remember back in the early days when we were starting out, and this big old group, hundreds of people, and hardly anyone was married. It's amazing how many prophetesses rose up in that church. But they prophesied this way. A lot of them had these words from the Lord. They usually went to the most handsome guy in the group. 
You know, I just want you to know, I can't tell you how many times the handsome guys came to me and there were all these guys saying, man, these girls think that I'm the one. God told them. There are a few other guys playing that same hand as well, but we all have those people in our lives. And it's difficult when we know them and we know they love us and we know they want the best for us. But there's a difference between someone loving us and wanting their best for us and someone loving us and wanting God's best for us. And that's what we're going to drill in on as we close this morning in a few minutes. How do we know that? Because it's very important. Because the voices of people we love can be very penetrating, can they not? They can, they can be voices that will direct us. And we do really need God's voice to be the loudest voice penetrating our soul and penetrating our decisions and penetrating our, our, our calendar and penetrating the, the tomorrow and, and whatever is ahead of us as his kids. Paul did not deviate. Know that God has a plan for your life. Discover that plan. Step out in faith and live out that plan. And do not deviate. When we had taken our leave, <laughs> I can imagine that last final prayer meeting, those people, man, this has been so cool, Paul, man, he's here. Can we just pray? I wonder if, I wonder if anybody prayed, Lord, we know that Paul's all like, you know, got to go to Jerusalem, but if you could just change his heart. Paul didn't deviate. We, Luke included, boarded the ship. They returned home. Paul did not deviate, and he didn't approach Jerusalem more reluctantly because of that. He sprinted towards it. Paul had given God's plan for his life the highest priority, higher than anything or anyone else. Thus, he pressed on. Remember, he said in Acts chapter 20, just days earlier, guys, I got to go. Holy Spirit's already let me know I'm going to be hammered when I go into some of these cities and just the suffering and, and incarcerations. I get all of that. But he also would say that none of these things move me in verse 24, nor do I count my life dear to myself or because I've grown to a place where I do not count my life dear to myself. I've examined all of my assets and all of my liabilities, and I just have landed on, I'm letting Jesus be priority. A commitment to Christ that superseded self-interest had been the pattern for Paul's life. Ever since he even heard those words from Ananias in that chapter 9, that, man, from Jesus, I'm going to show him how many things he's going to have to suffer. Luther said, and I quote, Such joyful abandon to the divine will will go neither unchallenged, listen, nor unrewarded. 
When we had finished the voyage in verse 7 from Tyre, we came to Ptolemais, greeted the brethren, stayed with them one day. The next day, we who were Paul's companions departed and came to Caesarea. We entered the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, who, and they stayed with them. And then it says about Philip that he had four virgin daughters who, who prophesied. You remember Philip. Philip, um, we first met in the earlier chapters of the book of Acts. Um, when the church was birthed, it wasn't without its challenges. There was 3,000 people in Jerusalem now that made up the church. And there was a group of widows. They were called Hellenists. Hellenists were Greek-speaking Jews. And they were, you know, going to get distribution uh, from the church every day or every few days. And they felt like they were being neglected. They brought that to Peter and John and the leadership's attention. And they're like, okay, we'll handle that. We, we personally won't. we got to give ourselves to prayer and studying and teaching God's word. But pick out seven of your own. Find out just, you know, seven men they would look for. Men of good reputation, men of wisdom, and men of the Holy Spirit. And, and let them, you know, deal with this issue. And, and Stephen, remember, was one of those that were chosen. And so was Philip. In chapter 8, it says that great persecution began to be unleashed upon the church. And the church began to scatter. But as they scattered, they did so preaching the word of God. The spotlight then would come on Philip as he would move to Samaria. And as he would move into Samaria, he was preaching Jesus to people. And it said that people were being converted and miracles were happening. And people that were demon-possessed were being delivered. It was just this great work of God. And then shortly after that, the Lord like led Philip over to Gaza, this desertous area. And as he was there, you know, kind of like the big happening crowd, God's in that to like one person crowd, God's into that as well. There's this eunuch this Ethiopian eunuch on a cart reading, just kind of cruising away from Jerusalem, obviously had a spiritual quest that wasn't met through Judaism, cruising back. And then Philip's like, well, what are you reading? He was reading Isaiah chapter 53, and we know that is about the death of Jesus, the Messiah. And Philip's like, well, let me explain all of that to you. Next thing you know, the Ethiopian eunuch is converted, and Philip is like baptizing that dude in, in water. That's Philip. We move 15 years forward now. And here's Philip. And God has given him a family, much like mine. All girls. <laughs> Poor guy had four of them. I had three. God had some mercy on me. <laughs> what I mean by that is girls have a lot of words. Could you imagine four daughters, guys? How about four daughters of prophesied? That would be, a, I'm not even going to go there, but that would be a very, very interesting family to raise. Hey, here's all my daughters. You're walking with Jesus, but be careful. They got a word to say. That was Philip. But what a picture of how God honors and blesses the lives of those who follow him. Philip. It says here, he had made Caesarea his headquarters and God had blessed him. Then we stayed many days in verse 10. And a certain prophet named Agabus came down from Judea. And when he had come up to us, he, he goes up to Paul, he takes Paul's belt, and he ties Paul's hands and his feet with his own belt, and then he says, Thus says the Holy Spirit, So shall the Jews at Jerusalem bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. When he heard these things, 
Both we, Luke says, the rest of the team along with him, and those from that place pleaded with Paul not to go to Jerusalem. The last time we met this man, Agabus, was in chapter 11-ish, I believe. And it had been another 15 years, and, 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 and he came up. He was a prophet. He prophesied. Prophets foretell. Hey, God put it on my heart, church. There's going to be a big old you know, famine in Judea, and we need to prepare. And they did, and that allowed the church in Antioch and other believers to come together and rally behind the church. And a big, they were like a disaster relief ministry, and God used that and sustained life and whatnot. And so here we are 15 years later, and he meets Agabus again. He goes, you know, this guy says something like God spoke to him. He's pretty spot on, you know. And imagine the dramatic fashion that, that this, how this would have played out. Hey, Agabus, how you doing? Hey, Paul, how you doing? Hey, can I borrow your belt? And he just ties Paul's hands and then ties his feet. Paul's like, what's happening, bro? This is what's going to happen to you. He doesn't tell him not to go. He just says, listen, God has shown me that on your journey ahead of you, the Gentiles are going to have their way with you. And you can get home and you can read ahead and you're going to go, whoa, is this guy right again? We'll get there. But as I look at this, I look at Paul's friends. <laughs> they see this. They've been traveling with Paul for four years in this third missionary journey, watching God do all kinds of miraculous things in Paul's life. Delivering him was part of that from time to time. And now as, as they're getting ready to like, you know, come together, these men that have raised up the offering and traveled with Paul as representatives of the church carrying the offering, and we're all going to go to Jerusalem together, all of a sudden they hear this same word, and they're like, oh, oh, oh. Maybe we shouldn't go. They got swept up, I believe, in that all-too-common inclination of being quick to know God's will for someone else. Trying to make God's will conform to their ideas. I'm sure this would have really been a serious amount of pressure on Paul. We always are going to have those loved ones, those well-intended people in our life that are like, man, God just, he just wants to bless you. He just wants you to be happy. He wants you to be healthy. He wants you to be safe. And, and he wants you to be secure. Absolutely. But he also wants to build your faith. And he also wants your security to be in him. And he also wants you to be blessed. Not so much as happy. And God knows that oftentimes trials and hardship and opposition is what brings that stability to our soul. What brings us to a place of understanding he is our God, that he is in control. Amen. That he is sustaining us. That we are blessed. Their focus was on the horizontal plane. <clears throat> but they were short-sighted. They shifted and began to think about Paul's good rather than God's good. Understand that Paul did not choose suffering. He chose God's will, as Jesus did. Whether that means suffering or not. We don't follow Jesus 
and follow his will for our life because this is going to be fun. Oh, it has some amazing moments. And you go, that was so fun. But we serve him and we follow him because it's his will. The pressure on Paul must have been unbearable to hear Luke say this. Others that he has just walked walked with. Others to just, come on, Paul, look around. Come on, Paul. You've been so faithful all of these years. been like, come on, bro, like 22 years you've been doing this. I mean, look at all the other people that God can use. Maybe they, they won't be such a target when they go to. Someone else can take it. We've done our part. We've raised up the offerings. We've prayed. Look at what God's done. Can't we send it with, I don't know him, some other guy? You can imagine what was going on. But finally, Paul breaks his heart, reveals his heart in verse 13. He's like, why are you weeping and why are you breaking my heart? He loved them. Their word mattered. He trusted them. He put his life in their care. And they were also, they just loved Paul. They really thought this one might do him in and they, they just kind of, fell back on like the personal feelings and their own desires and and this thing could have caved in really quick but Paul would say hold on hold on although you're ripping me apart on the inside breaking my heart because I know you love me and I wish I could pacify those feelings by following your will there's a greater call upon my life I am ready not only to be bound but also die in Jerusalem for the sake or the name of Jesus Christ That's the kind of commitment that God is looking for in us. That's the kind of faith that God will honor. That's the kind of faith that God will use in saving the Roman Empire of America today and reaching California today. It is not easy to take everything you've worked for Especially if it's yours. And I mean it's yours. Just ask a person, is that your business? Yes. This is when I started. I birthed it. It's mine. It's my baby. It might be their career. It might be their education. Just look at all the plaques. That's what I've done. That's me. That's who I am. You go into someone's house. You see all the pictures. You look at the social media. That's who they are. It's hard to take all of us and deny all of us. And pick up our cross, which is the instrument of death, and crucify all of us for the sake of Jesus Christ. It's just hard. Anyone who tells you it's easy, they're not being honest. But here it is. It's hard, but it's right. And it's the best life. Following Jesus Christ, no matter what the world says, no matter what circumstances say, it will always be the abundant life. Abundantly above all that we could ask or think. Short of that is the redundant life. Following Jesus is the abundant life. But you got to be all in. Some of the most torn Christians are torn by what Jesus is calling them to let go of. Like the rich young woman. Torn 
yeah, but these have always been my friends. I got, I got new people, Lance, that I want to bring you to. I've worked all these years to be in the surf industry. I've done all of this to get these shots in the magazine and to build up the team and the marketing. And I've done all of this. It's just starting to roll. And we got trade shows and we got people wanting to buy our goods. We got a fiberglass. We got all, I got the list of all. I had so many reasons. I had, I, I showed God so many ways he could use me the way I wanted him to use me. I spent like five years like this is how it's got to roll. And it wasn't until I laid it all down that he began to really use it. He's not going to use anything so much in our hand, but he'll use whatever we place in his. That starts in our heart. I, I just want to highlight a couple of things here. Paul did not deviate. When God gives you a calling, shows you his will, he would expect us, don't deviate, Lance. So I'm ready, whatever it takes. <laughs> you bound, you even lose my life. I'm ready, let's, let's roll. He was that surrendered. Now, up until this point in Paul's life, I'm just going to read some things that will be familiar to you for 20 years. Saved on the road to Damascus. Ultimately, his life was threatened in Damascus. His life was threatened again in Jerusalem, chapter 9. Persecuted and ran out of Antioch and Pisidia in Acts chapter 13. Faced possible stoning in Iconium, chapter 14. Stoned and left for dead in Lystra, chapter 14. Opposed and made the center of controversy in Acts 15. Experienced the loss of his best friend, his best buddy Barnabas, in chapter 15. Beaten with rods and imprisoned in Philippi in Acts 16. Cast out of Philippi, Acts 16. Threatened in Thessalonica, Acts 17. Forced out of Berea, Acts 17. Mocked in Athens, Acts 17. Taken before the judgment seat in Corinth, Acts 18. Opposed by the silversmiths in Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. Plotted against by the Jews in Greece, we saw in Acts chapter 20. And we have eight more chapters to go. 2 Corinthians 11, 24 through 28. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews, looking back on his ministry, 39 lashes on my back. Five times. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Speaking of that time, he was stoned and left for dead in Lystra. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and day... I was adrift in the sea. Frequent journeys, danger in rivers, danger in robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the cities, in wildernesses, dangers in the sea, dangers from false brethren, in toil and hardship, through many sleepless nights, in hunger and thirst, without food, cold and exposed. Oh, apart from all these things was just this constant ache in my heart for the church. There are times, and listen up, when our calling and logic collide, just collide. When Paul was like lifted up there in Lystra, drug out of the city for preaching the gospel, and stoned, when Jews stone you, they do it until there's no more life in you. And it's, there's a good chance Paul was dead and God brought him back. But look, look, when he got up and his disciples were around him, his buddies were around him, the other, they picked him up. That guy would have looked like he was stoned to death. 
I don't know what he felt like, but I'm sure he was like, he had better days. And then he, he like dusts himself off, and you can imagine, the, the average person would have went, whoa, you're alive? Yeah. Here's his calling. Logic would have said, dude, you're still, it, it, we better quit while we're ahead here. That's what logic said. But he dusted himself off. And he went into Derby and he continued preaching the same message that created that kind of drama. God's call upon his life was the highest of priorities. It superseded any circumstances, it superseded any hardship that came his way. In 2 Timothy 3 10 through 17, He's like, Timothy, listen, you know, you, you've carefully followed my doctrine, yeah, in my manner of life, remember, my purpose, my faith, my long-suffering, my love, my perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, even that which happened to me at Antioch and Iconium and Lystra. And here it is. If we were to stop right now and I'm like, okay, let's pray, you'd all be like, man, that's heavy. But that scripture doesn't stop right there. He lists off all of the challenges and all the persecutions and all the hardship. And he says this, but, but understand this. And out of them all, the Lord delivered me. Amen. Then he would say in verse 12, very sobering for all of us, but it brings perspective and balance. Yes, all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer some level of persecution. 2 Corinthians 4, 7 through 9, this man that went through all of that would pin down these words. We have this treasure in earthen vessels, talking about God in us, that the excellence of the power may be of God and not us. Yeah, we're hard-pressed on every side, yet not crushed. Amen? We are perplexed, but not in despair. Amen? We are perplexed, but not in despair. Amen? There might be some like non-believers here that are like, do they believe this? We are persecuted, but not forsaken. Struck down, but not destroyed. 14, so when he would not be persuaded, Luke says, we ceased. We ceased begging him and pleading with him not to go to Jerusalem. And this is what's really cool. And they began to say, the will of the Lord be done. Like many faithful saints before him, Paul moved and ministered in the purpose and the power of the Lord. And his continual, steadfast, unwavering, I will not deviate, had an impact on people who wanted him to deviate. They went from step out of the will of the Lord to, oh, he isn't. Oh, he is steadfast. Yeah, man. May the will of the Lord be done. 15, after those days we packed up, we went to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain man, Nason, a Cyprus, a certain disciple with whom we, we lodged. He had the gift of hospitality, took care of Paul. Paul had a lot of those people along the way. Never underestimate that gift. Bless Paul and his team quite often with um, that gift. But when they get to Jerusalem, the brother receives them in verse 17. And, and Luke doesn't give us the details, but that would have been Peter 
and John and James, the half-brother of Jesus, and other church leaders will get to heaven and find out what that was all like when they brought the offering. You know, for four years, they've been moving that direction. They finally get there, and we have like, Luke, give us some details. man. What was, what was that like? There's a lot of challenges with the early church, and, and, and we just kind of don't get a lot of that information. In verse um, 18, there's a little more insight. We'll get on that uh, in our next time together, but... Uh, Luke will meet with him the next day and all the elders together and he'll share with him all the things that God has done in that last uh, four years in the missionary journey. And when they hear it, they're going to glorify the Lord, but then they're going to begin to warn Paul. And from that point on, from verse like uh, 20, 21-ish and there on to the rest of the book of Acts, we step into this final season of Paul's life where, man, it's just going to be a challenge. But God is going to use him. And God is going to show us how he is faithful to fulfill his calling upon our life. And we're going to see God using Paul and platforming Paul and getting the gospel to people through Paul's life and through Paul's ministry and through Paul's mission that otherwise would never hear it. And we'll look at that and we'll glean a lot from that as well. But as we we close out our time together... Understand this. Christians who who really want to know God's will for their life can discover it. Here's a couple of notes. Number one, seek God with a surrendered heart. For genuinely seeking God's will, we need to surrender ours. We need to surrender our personal desires so that we will be fully open to His. So seek Him with a surrendered heart. Number two, meditate on God's Word. Why is that important? Well, God's will for our life will always line up with His Word. And and, and left to myself, I will come up with all kinds of crazy ideas that may or may not be God's will for my life. But The more I read God's word, the more I understand God, the nature of God, the more I begin to trust God, I begin to understand he's a God of love, a God of mercy, a God of infinite wisdom, a God that knows my tomorrow. I begin to understand what his word is, that it's inerrant, it's inspired, it's eternal. I begin to understand that that it profits me, it shows me what to do, (laughs) what's, what's, in in 2 Timothy 3, it, it, it shows me what's doctrine, what's true. It shows me what's right, what's wrong, how to get right and how to stay right. We've went over that a bunch of times. But but as I begin to seek God's will, oftentimes he'll speak to me about his will through his word. So I've got to go to him. I've got to go to his word. And and, and his word, it says in in Psalm 119, 105, it says, it is a, a lamp into my feet, a light into my path. In other words, his word will illuminate and show me in this very dark world where I need to step today. And where I need to walk in my tomorrow. Don't. Don't ever try and seek God's will apart from his word. Come to him with a surrendered heart. Come to him. Meditate upon his word. And then thirdly, this is important. Spend uninterrupted, focused time on God about his will for you in prayer. I'm going to say that again. Spend uninterrupted. That means you've got to get, turn every device off, get it out, get, get alone with the Lord 
Focus on him and give him time and talk to him. The best way to understand God's will for your life is to talk to him about that. In James 1, 5-6, if anyone lacks wisdom, let him ask of God, who gives to all generously and without reproach. It will be given to him. In Jeremiah 33, 3, call unto me and I will answer you and show you great and mighty things which you do not know. There's so many scriptures on prayer, but as we go through those scriptures on prayer, the one thing that really stands out is that like, like God really wants to talk to us and reveal himself and reveal his will to us. You can't miss it. So talk to God. Ask him to reveal his will to you. And then fourthly, seek godly counsel. Proverbs eleven fourteen 14 says, Where there is no counsel, the people fall. And the word Old Testament written in the Hebrew, the, the Hebrew word for that word counsel speaks of direction. It speaks of directing a ship. We're on this course in life. We need some people from time to time. God to use people, spiritual people, born-again people, wise people, biblical people that will help steer the course of our life. In verse 14, the latter part, but in the multitude of counsel, there is safety. So where there is no counsel, people fall. But where there is counsel, there is safety. Proverbs eleven fourteen. without counsel, plans go awry. But in the multitude of counselors, we are established. And so in the body of Christ, just look around. If you see people carrying their Bibles, if you see they have joy. I always, I always look for people that have joy. <laughs> and they're, if, they're, if they know their word, if I talk to them and Jesus comes up in the conversation, they've got a reference on life in the word of God. Those are the kind of people I seek out. And I want counsel from. And I do this a lot over the years. I've, I've sought people out. I, I, if God puts certain people on my heart, I'm like, I will interrupt their life. I will find them. And I will let them know. I, I just, I believe God has something to say to you for me. And please, you have a platform to speak into my life. I have a few people that when they call me, every time they call me, I stop what I'm doing and I grab my stack of, of, of Post-its. Every time they call, I stop. I like, hold on, hold on, hold on. I look around, get my desk. I'm like, okay, let's talk. And sometimes we'll just talk about the weather. Sometimes we talk, but inevitably, God always speaks to these people. Sometimes I got like six, seven, sometimes a dozen post-its. I'm just like, they're like, are you paying attention? I am listening to every word you're saying right now. God just uses them. You need those people in your lives. And then once God reveals His will, step out in faith and live it. And if you step out in the will of God, (laughs) you are walking with the one where he said in Joshua chapter 1, verses 5 and 6 to Joshua, I will not leave you nor forsake you. So be strong and be courageous. Let's stand. I got here this morning. And I just put, I put a series of scriptures and a couple of subtitle notes on my notes. That's what I have. If you read my notes, a lot of it wouldn't make sense to you. It makes sense to me. This morning I got in my office and the Lord gave me this. I just sat there and I just, I, these scriptures just were coming. Paul would say there in 2 Corinthians 1, 
I don't want you to be ignorant about this. All this stuff that happened to me in Asia. And we got to a point where we were burdened beyond measure. The trials were so intense we thought we were going to lose our life. Sentence of death, death was upon us. We should not trust in ourselves. We knew that. But in God who raises the dead, who delivered us from such a great death and does deliver us, in whom we trust that he will still deliver us. And Paul will write his final letter in 2 Timothy. In the latter part of that letter, chapter 4, I pin these words down. But Timothy, you know, the, the Lord stood with me and strengthened me so that the message might be preached fully through me and that all the Gentiles might hear. The one who called me was faithful. He just was faithful. And he goes, also, I, I was delivered out of the mouth of the lion. So Timothy's reading this. Paul's in prison. This is Paul saying, the one who had been delivered me along the way delivers me, delivers me, delivers me, delivered me yesterday because I could have been fed to the lions, but he delivered me another day. So I'm penning this down. And he did that knowing, he says, the Lord will deliver me from every evil work and preserve me for his heavenly kingdom until he takes me home. The one who has been delivering me will finally bring the ultimate delivery and bring me into his presence. This man, Paul, would be pinning down these words shortly after we see him here meeting with the leaders and there in Jerusalem. Paul's going to go on, share the word, and, and a crazy mob is going to grab him. They're going to want to tear him limb from limb. Lord, he'll be arrested, he'll be incarcerated, all this we're about to read, I don't want to get too far ahead. But the Lord is going to show up to Paul in chapter 23 and he's going to say, take courage. Take courage. As you've been testifying about me in Jerusalem, I, I, I'm going to get you to Rome. Just as Jesus said to the woman with that 12-year hemorrhage, take heart. I'm in this. I got you. As Jesus would say to the disciples in a storm, take courage. Jesus showed up to Paul. Agabus was right. Holy Spirit was right. He would go to Jerusalem. The Gentiles are going to have their way with him. And the Lord will meet him there and say, hang in there, buddy. I got you. I'm not done with you till I'm done with you. But as Paul was going through this, the Lord was with him each step of the way. I'm going to leave you with one final verse, Psalm 34, 1 through 5. I will bless the Lord at all times. His praise will continually be in my mouth. 
My soul will make its boast in the Lord. The humble are going to hear about that and be glad. Oh, magnify the Lord with me and let us exalt his name together. For I sought the Lord and he delivered me from all of my fears. I sent this scripture to a dear brother this morning. Jose Munoz, be praying for him and his family. He got word that his, his brother, one of his brothers, that he loved dearly, a brother that we gave an invitation to our church. He raised his hand, accepted Jesus. We baptized him. Last night, the Lord took him home in a tragic motorcycle accident. So as Jose and I spoke this morning, I've known Jose, he's family plays the keyboards up here, leads us in worship. His wife, we just live life together. We've been through great times and many difficult times. And as he wept, and me and Lori wept, he said, Lance, I know God's with me. And I know that God is sending me. This, this is part of life. This is part of my life. Oh, but my mom, my mom. And I went there too. Yeah. It's just gut-wrenching pain. But God, God was lifting him and lifting me. And he's just, I just got to get to Arizona. I just, I just, I got to get there. He's put a message in my heart for my family. You do realize we're all going to go through this with or without God. But to go through life with Jesus, he holds you. I'm so proud of my brother. He built my faith. And the Lord said, you send him this song because he's seeking me and I hear him. And I am delivering him right now out of all of his fear. Amen? Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you do in our lives. For any that are here and don't know you or online, if you'd like to give your life to Jesus and he's just this last moment as we close. He's here, he's listening. Just cry out to him and say, Lord, I am a sinner. Romans 3.23 says, we've all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. But if you want Jesus to forgive you and save you right now, tell him. Just tell him. I'm a sinner, but I ask you, Jesus. Tell him. The one who died on that cross for me, tell him that. Was buried and three days later rose from the dead. Tell him that. Come into my life. Forgive me and save me. Become my Lord and Savior. And Lord, for the rest of us, this is the message. This is the good news. Help us, Lord, to glean from Paul's life and the work that you did. Help us to rise above ourselves, And may your calling become supreme in the name of Jesus. To that end, we pray for your help. Amen and amen. amen.